Welcome back to the Mean Mind Podcast. Our guest today is Jaime Rivera. Thanks for joining me, Jaime. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's uh, it's been a been a pleasure to catch up with you in in the past few years. We you were my soccer coach in high school, a mentor for me, and we've uh, we've had the honor and the pleasure to catch up a few times in recent years. And mm-hmm. and you've done a lot of a lot of things since then with some some success and state championships and and career moves so uh yeah it's an honor to have you here thanks for coming same here sean um everything that you say i i echo and um it's it's a pretty cool experience i should say having the chance to uh to keep relationships alive like we have been able to do sean um and uh you know 10 years later um we're we're here Right, having a conversation is in a different different phase in our life now. Right, yeah, because yeah. when we first met each other, I was thirteen years old, yep. fourteen years yeah, old. Man. Right, so yeah. Um, yeah, well, so just to jump into to something that I think is really interesting is you're you're such a dedicated coach, and like you, it's really obvious that you just give everything as a coach. You know, is as a player on your team, it was like you were always reading, you were always, you were always learning, you were always growing, you were always just, you know, giving your 100%. And I'm just curious, where does that motivation come from for you? You know, um, I've had the chance to reflect on on just those kinds of of uh, questions, you know, um, in the last, definitely since I think since I've been become a father, you know. Life has life has become a, a lot more real, and uh, there's consequences, <laughs> you know, um, to our actions, good and bad, um, and uh, and my kids are watching my every move. My my two sons are watching my every move, and uh, I think I was doing the same thing. To answer your question, uh, mom and dad, um, we watch them. Um, me and all, and all my siblings watched them um, somehow raise six six of us um, in in an orchard. Um, both of them working, um, you know, proudly uh, on a farm, you know, a- apple and pear farm. Right. Um, my mom um, worked in a cold storage, uh, packing fruit. Um, dad out on the ranch you know on the tractor you know uh doing everything that you need to do to to bring down that fruit at the end of the at the harvest right right it's like all this work you do for this short moment of of uh of of yield you know you yield uh in this case like i said uh pears apples and and blueberries now my my my, my father uh farmed blueberries as well uh in the same orchard uh, for 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't ever remember dad calling in sick. Um, mom was there every day too, you know, getting us out the door to go to school and, and, uh, and not making much money, Sean, like my, my mom and dad, you know, they're hard workers, but you know, uh, agriculture jobs don't pay that well right and um but 
their their un, their unwavering uh, work ethic had had to have impacted myself and and all my siblings. Right. Um, so I think I get it from them. And did they did they instill that academic prioritization? That you have because you you've always been big on making sure your students or your yeah. athletes are good students yeah and were, the, were your parents that same way with you where they really prioritize school they were but quietly like uh you know mom and dad had elementary level education uh in mexico um and uh but i think that they're brilliant people you know um uh, again how how they were able to to raise six of us on such a small salary in in a in a pretty expensive place to live, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, it's it's pretty pretty incredible um, that they they definitely took care of all of our 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 necessities, or clothing, or shelter, you know, a roof over our head, uh, food. I remember there's always food on the table, um, and so I think they expected us to take care of school, right? Because they couldn't help us necessarily, right? Um, we you know with solving a math problem with you know learning how to read and write english you know they they couldn't necessarily be there to you know to to help us too much so i think i think it was it was just an expectation that they had you know um and uh they were also very were uh, not not worried but they also cared about us you know um being respectful uh to our teachers i remember um Dad would, dad would go uh, go to our uh, our conferences at school when we were in elementary school, and he'd say, "Hey, you know, to Mrs. Zucari, just say, just because I remember Mrs. Zucari uh, as one of my teachers, he'd say, hey, anytime Jaime doesn't listen, just grab his ears and twist them, you know.' Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and still to this day, believe it or not, Mrs. Zucari sees me and she's like, "Come here." <laughs> um, cool, kind of a cool experience growing up in such a small community right. where um where where in my case my parents had a, a a ton of trust in the teachers in the school staff you know and they it was really um pretty special you know uh, that that uh, school uh had school was like another another home for us in a way right we had the chance we had the chance to grow up in pine grove which is up on the east side of the valley right in, in the smallest elementary school in the, in the district sure you know there was one teacher per grade you know and we went to school with all the kids that lived down on our on our street you right. know and so um i think that a lot of a lot of good things were just naturally um available to us you know um but mom and dad definitely Definitely cared about us getting a good education, for sure. Right. And that's interesting that you said that school was kind of a second family for you because I know you kind of played that role as a second family or the team mm -hmm. has played that role mm -hmm. for a lot of kids who have family trouble and stuff. Yeah. But what's it like trying to... How do you toe that line of diving into the personal side of a player and helping them with if they have family trouble versus mm -hmm. trying to be professional and I can imagine that that's that's hard because it's so valuable to some kids but you also don't want to cross the line and be yeah. disrespectful yeah no I think it has to go both ways right like you have to have that that natural openness with that individual you know and I would say the same thing of a player going to his coach or her coach 
um, when they need something that's outside of the team, you know, on a personal level. Um, I think there has to be that trust, right? And um, and that's also always something that I try to establish um, with 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 my players, my athletes. Because um, you're right, man. If for for the 13 years that I that I had the the you know the privilege of being the head coach for the soccer team here at, at Hood River Valley, um, it was it was absolutely my second family. Um, uh, I I joke that sometimes. Um, well, I, I, it's not a joke. It's true <laughs> that, uh, every, every July, you know, um, I couldn't wait to get out there on the field with the guys and, and just be immersed in that, in that culture, you know, in that team atmosphere. Um, uh, and, and there were seasons where, where we would be done and we'd be like, man, we don't want this to end, you know, kind right. of thing where it was such a special, yeah, such a special, uh, experience, um, and I'm talking for everyone, starters, uh, s- s- subs, players that sometimes didn't even get off the bench very, very often. Right. I remember having some seasons where even those those players that were, you know, um, that were uh, definitely special part of the team. Maybe they didn't get as much playing time. Right. But where they had the hum, the humility to sit back and and say, "This is amazing. I am just." happy to be part of this team right um and, and those are the years that are obviously um uh special because um you know maybe the and it's true you know that the you know wins and losses will kind of take care of themselves if you have the right you know the right culture on your team um in our case there's fantastic athletes in hood river valley so we're always going to have a, a I, th- I feel a, a good pool of Athletes to pull from, you know, mm-hmm. and you know the soccer is played very, very widely here in this in this community. Um, so th- that was never a question of whether we would have good athletes and, and strong players to field on our team, but it's like, w- can we get everything else uh, uh, well established? That's important to to uh, certain, yeah, helping us win games, but helping us endure those tough moments, the losses that'll come probably, you know. Um, the sometimes life happens and and bad things happen to good people you know kind of thing and so we have to be there ready to to be there for each other kind of thing those are the those are the elements of a team that that i i began to see are were more important than winning or more important than having that starting lineup that you think is going to be the one that's going to get you the win right um, it was the, the 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 things that happen at halftime. It's the moments that you that nobody hears because it's the defender going back to the goalkeeper and talking to him one on one about something, right? Right. Uh, maybe putting an arm around him and saying, "Man, you you got it. Don't worry." You know, um, those were all. Those are all the things that I began to see as, as being more important than than just winning. You know? Right. Um, if you can if you can get all those things. In order, you know, the winds will come. Right. That's what I was going to ask is if you get that culture, if you're lucky enough to find that mm-hmm. with a group of guys, is that the best way to actually produce success? I think so. I think so. And it's the best way to earn that trust that we were just talking about. Um, because in all in all of that, Sean, you, you have to make sure that everyone's okay, that everyone's understands their role, that everyone... Um, has that humility that, like I was telling you, that has the ability to be humble, and and to and to think more about the team 
than than oneself you know mm-hmm. um those are the moments that that i think are 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 really special right you know and uh and it, it didn't happen every year don't get me wrong it wasn't every every year wasn't great you know in my 13 seasons um there were some really tough years um but but that's what that's what you know we signed up for right you sign up to be part of a team uh, because you know you're going to become part of something that's bigger than you right and um that was always special and sometimes those those moments are they're hard to end you know in, in our in our case our season is short right you know high school season is basically august september october and then yeah. you're happy and then you're lucky if you play in november right yeah. if you're a playoff team then yeah then you play in november but before you knew it it, it was gone and and then you kind of entered into this kind of almost depression-like state for a while, you know, because all of a sudden you don't have that family around you. Right. All of a sudden you're not meeting at, at the field every evening to practice, you know, and um, and you're not looking at the calendar anymore to see who you're playing next and to see where your standings are and to see how many goals you've scored. And, right. You know, and, and that's all really cool stuff. You know? Yeah, it's... It's almost like a part-time family. It is. Like, it is. It is. And is have you found any rhyme or reason to when things click and when you find when a team has that culture, or is it just make no sense? It's it's too hard to put your finger on. Listen, uh, you have to have the the right um, to to win it all. You have to have the right formula on the field. I mean, for sure. You know, you have to have the right uh, the, the right individuals. Um, and and that that is def- actually something that I'll I'll always carry with me is how important it is, and now I f- see it in my in my position in my career you know where I'm at now, it's absolutely about who is on your team, and um, you know, um, you'll get you'll have a generation or two where there's a r- very strong leadership as well influence i like to call that influence like the ability to influence others um there's there's strong and positive leadership that carry on for a generation or two um but then you might you then you may be in a situation where you don't have that strong of of leadership right you know and it just it is what it is man you know um it's, it ebbs and flows because there's such great turnover in high school athletics right you know your two, three years that you have the ability to play varsity soccer, for example, they're gone before you know it. Right. And um, and then you're w- working on the next generation. And um, and yeah. you're you're as the head coach, you're probably always looking at the the freshman and sophomore classes, trying to see who's going to be the next leader, who who might you be grooming, or who who are you watching to to potentially kind of bring up right because you need you need that leadership yeah you do um you do i mean you're and that's why it's important so important like you mentioned earlier for me it was always important to to know all the kids that are entering all the all the athletes that were entering our program and their and their families too and kind of just to understand where they come from and that kind of thing um so you could better at the end of the day it's for the it's about the athletes right it's like what what can i what tools can I use? What knowledge can I use to be able to 
to like you said, sometimes you work, you work, you you have uh, uh, people on your team that come from you know divorced you know fa- uh, families. Um, they come from single parent families. Um, kids that um, that um, we've had kids that are in the foster system. You know that don't have a family, and so we we become the family kind of thing, like we talked about already. Um, and then you have everything else. You know, you have um, you know individuals from from very strong, uh, loving backgrounds. You know, and kind of thing. And it's like it's like how can you how do you marry all of that right into one functioning unit? Right. Uh, because absolutely personal stuff impacts us um and our ability to to do our craft at the best at the top level that we that we can mm-hmm. and, I, and 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 that was I'd be lying to you if if I'd said that that once you step onto the soccer field your issues are behind you so to speak like I, we had a lot of that as I understand personally when I grew up I think a lot of my coaches were like you know leave your issues off the field I don't want you to bring any of that onto the field and and I and I understand that knowledge you know, I understand that 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 uh, that thought, that train of thought, but again, I I won't be able to give my one hundred percent if I got these issues that are kind of bothering me on in my personal life. Mm. Um, not everybody has that ability to 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 leave that at the do- at the door, so right. to speak. Some things are too strong. Yep. Some, and if I care about it, and th- that individual, that individual is important to my team, I'm going to make sh- sure and I take the time to to figure out what's going on and to right. try to help if I can. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, I, I need that individual to be at his absolute 100%, um, you know, when they're, all, when they're representing us. Right. You know, on the pitch, so to speak. Um, and it, it probably goes unsaid that, there is also an expectation that the individual be doing what they can mm-hmm. to, uh, like you don't want people bringing drama onto the right. field, right? Exactly. There's, there's a difference between, there is, right, like it, it is valuable not to just bring everything onto the mm-hmm. field, but at a certain point you can't. Yeah, but I can see where you normally score that goal or you normally make that assist, you see that that play, and you make the mistake over and over, and then I can see the frustration in you, and it's just you're not. It doesn't look like you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the time to come see what's up. Right. You know, even if it's just that. Right. You know, and uh, I, I always, um, I was, I was, was, I was, I was always proud of when we could take those situations and make turn them into positive outcomes, because um, it happened every year. Absolutely. Right. You know. And um, I think that it, that that it's it's a responsibility that we have as coaches to um, you know to because I think a lot of times as adults we brush kids off and their issues and we don't really take their their um, their side or their perspective as as important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think kids feel like that a lot, you know. And so when we can, as coaches, again, when we can realize that. That's not um, helpful. Um, that that you start to see some some really positive, like I said, some really positive results. Um, and uh, you know, there's a good, also there's also a time and place for everything too. You know, sure. But I'm telling you, it's just even it's even just that. I remember. I remember thinking just how how impactful it was just to 
even just put just put your hand on somebody's shoulder and say, hey, you know, you doing all right? Right. Hey, let's catch up after practice. Even just something like that, you know. Right. And how how um, how small the gesture, but how 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 uh, impactful, you know, those kinds of uh, check-ins, those kinds of coaching right know, uh, moments. Uh, those are really really important. Right. Which that's. Like from my perspective as a player, I remember I remember you doing that with me, but I wasn't aware very much at all to the fact that you have to be doing you're doing that with everyone, so you're you're keeping tabs on the entire team in that way, and I think maybe if the team really has that good culture that you're looking for, then the teammates start doing that amongst themselves. Yeah. yeah. But in high school, it's going to be hard to find that level where it's just fully yeah. everyone's doing it. But like you're you're on you're on overtime. You're not just coaching. You're mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. like uh, yeah the father almost or yeah. the the friend. Yep. And I would say that because I recently dealt with a really hard uh, situation in my in my coaching career, um, and I and I feel like maybe. Maybe because there's a, there's a, the other side to it too is if you don't take the time to do these things, if you don't take the time to understand the pulse of your team or your or your or again back to the your our careers right back to to our real lives you know if we don't take the time to stay tuned in to the vibe and the and the beat of of your family or your or your your office staff or whatever you have you you know you start to lose. Um, a really important part of of leadership, you know, which is again the, having the ability to influence people in the right way, but also in the way that you want, right? Like as a leader, like we we have vision, right? Um, we have values that guide our decisions and and the things that we do. Um, but if you're not in tune with all those small individual relationships and all those small um, um, moments, you, you you can't do as good of a job. You know, and um, and at the end of the day, we're responsible as leaders. We're responsible for the culture of our of our team, of our staff, of our of our of our home. You know, right? Um, so we have to own it, both sides. And in in general, I'm curious because because I saw you for really only three years. Mm-hmm. And that entire time you were learning a lot. And I do remember significant changes in your strategy and, and different techniques, mm-hmm. team building or just just technical soccer skills mm-hmm. that changed. But I'm curious from your perspective over your career, what were some of the biggest changes and, and how you and what changed in your coaching style on all levels? I mean definitely have been thinking about about this and that question that you just asked because you know um when i first when i first became the head coach at hooder valley i was um i was i was young, you know i was i was younger than than uh than most head coaches i mean i was 29 mm-hmm. when i was when i became the head coach at hooder valley right uh, i was single uh didn't have any bills, so to speak, really, just other than my student loans. And uh, I was dating a gal 
um, but really wasn't super tied down at the time. You know, so I was definitely living life differently, you know, than I than I was, than I am now. And certainly, um, you know, I think at that time I was caught up in winning, just trying to win. You right. Know? I, and there was a reason though. There was a reason to for for that. Obviously, that's the the phase I was in my life. But there was also I also had the chance to coach club soccer before I became the head coach at Hood River Valley. And I had coached a couple of generations of kids that were very talented. Right. And I, and I had the chance to win some, um, some big tournaments with those guys at the state level. So these are boys that are in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, right? And, uh, but I, w- I wasn't coaching the high school at the time. I, I had vis- a dream of doing that. Right. Um, and had the chance to do that. In, in 2010, I became the head coach. Uh, for Hood River Valley, but I had I knew that these players were going to come in to the high school, and uh, and and we had basically beaten the state champions of the state at that at that time, and so I had a good good idea for the top level teams in the state and kind of the high schools that they would feed into, and um and I was like, we we can win a, a state championship in high you know at, at right. Hood River Valley with these right. with these athletes these individuals and um and, and sure enough you know um you were you were part of this and, and i can go back to because i liked what you asked a little bit ago of the the coaching depending on what what the team was or what what phase right in my coaching career like the the tactics that i used you know depending on the generation and where we were mm-hmm. well you know we won titles in 2014 and 2015 but you were part of the, the the generation of players that we had to create a platform mm-hmm. for these younger athletes yep. to to basically believe that we could win it all. Right. But I would we wouldn't have been able to do that without your your generation of players. You know, you, Jose Murrow, you know, Camille Biersma, you know, these these right. these really talented athletes that um that we didn't quite have what it what it what it what we needed to win a state title but but you were paving the way right and uh i remember saying that to jose Murrow one time um and he looked at me and kind of shook his head like no nah, but we wanted it coach you know like we wanted to win the state championship right. and i'm like dude you guys will never understand how important this this what this these moments are for these young athletes that are coming in. I mean, look right. what they're watching you do. Right. They're watching you lose in the semifinals of the state championship, two to one to our arch nemesis. Right. You know, uh, it's gonna leave a fire burning in them. They're gonna want to do it. Right. Next year, you know, because we weren't able to do it this year. And sure enough, it happened. You know, um, but absolutely. Um, yeah. It would. I think it was my junior year quarterfinals. We lost. Senior year, semifinals, semifinals we lost. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, you guys won state. We made it, made it to you state. You lost state the next year. We lost state, and then you won state. But we beat Woodburn in route to reaching state. The rival that we had lost right. to many the rival times. That we had lost yeah. to. Yeah. So it really was this this progressive. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like the biggest difference was just the kids believing in themselves that they could? Yeah, because I remember I remember preparing my preseason talk to the guys and I remember going over it with Kenny you know long time 
uh, Hood River Valley coach. He's probably the longest tenured coach now mm-hmm. at Hood River Valley. Probably 23, 24 years, you know, that he's been coaching there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember sitting down, going over my talk with him and, and him and, hi, and him looking at me and being, Jaime, you guys are going to win the state championship this year. He's such a <laughs> sweetheart. You know how he, yeah, how he yeah. talks and, yeah. and he's so real. And, I, and, and I'm like, I know. I know we are. Um, it was because of the way that we we approached everything. We 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 talked about things like they were going to happen. Right. Uh, it wasn't if with confidence. It was it was yeah. this uh, confidence that I, I'll never I'll never forget. You know, but we had the right to to feel that way. Um, we had done all this preparation work. Um, very um, driven coaching tactics. Uh, a lot of physical endurance. You guys ran a lot. You guys did burpees a lot. <laughs> you guys probably hated me for all that. But you were the strongest team in the state. You know, I remember coaches saying about your guys' teams leading up to those tight tiles, we knew that you guys were um, creating a juggernaut over there, you know. Yeah. Hey, so people were starting to notice, you know, that we were – that we were doing the right things out here, um, and um, and like I said, and and then you have to have the right, the right individuals, and everything else has to happen too. You have to have some things go your way, sure. You know, you gotta have some breaks every once in a while. You know, it's true that the that the better you prepare, the the more the luckier you are. It's true. The ball bounces your way, in some of those moments, and and and, and so all those things helped, right? All those things helped, but. Very special, special moments. It's so interesting because, like you were saying earlier about the player, the individual realizing that they're part of something bigger, they're part of the team. But now I'm realizing that the team, yeah, I was the individual that realized I was part of the team that was bigger. But what I hadn't realized is that team was part of a generation of teams Mm -hmm. that was a path that was even bigger, Mm -hmm. right? It's the, the local community that that we mm-hmm. were part of maybe we were like the bench players or the you know the on that team sure, yes supporting cast or whatever you want to call right it. whatever mm-hmm. it is it's uh it's just but you get to see that side of the long-term development of you know it's not just about there's going to be another game there's going to be another season there's going to be another year mm-hmm. and and you're looking at that long-term roadmap yeah and at what point would you say that you realized that you said it was like it was that that senior that uh that year that we the first year you lost in quarters or semis mm-hmm. that's when you realized the roadmap that's when you created the roadmap in your mind and you yeah. said okay maybe it's not next year but we're going each year we're going to claw yeah. our way one yeah. one game higher and literally and literally that's what what we did and then, um, it's, again, we're such from such a small community that um, that j- those things are going to ebb and flow, right? You know, in in a in a ten, twelve year coaching career, you'll probably have, you know, maybe a couple ebb, ebbs and flows of of very very strong athletes. You know, where where um, where you if you just again going back to what we spoke earlier, if you can just get the team culture. To, the right way so that you're 
players and everyone every, everyone is making the right decisions based on your values, right? If everyone's bought in, um, then you can look at maybe another state championship run. But um, that's probably probably the hardest thing in coaching is to be able to do that. Right. Is to, is to recreate the same thing year after year. Um, I don't think it's possible. Right. And you you were always so focused on, like we said, the character, the academics, the team, the teamwork. So, like in your in your mind, what what is an ideal season look like? Because you said at first it was all about winning. Sure. But now, what is it all about? You know. Um, Thinking back to those years that we won a lot, you know, there was a point in our in our there was a point in our in like a three years span where we didn't lose any games for you know fifty some fifty some games without losing, um, right? You know, um, I think it was fifty one is what what our at the end like our record was fifty one games without losing. There was some some ties in there, right? Um, but that that encompassed basically uh, two of our state championship years, and then and then the third the third year was when we lost um, in the quarterfinals again, you right. know, in a really controversial way. Uh, but we we had what it took that year to win another mm. another state title. It was really sad how things ended. Um, but you know, uh, there's a good side to winning, but there's also a, a kind of an ugly side, and. Um, and you'll actually read read a little bit about that in that, that in that book that I that I gifted you. Um, people don't realize that that part. Everyone, every our society is so caught up in winning, it's hard to go, get away from that. To be honest, as as a, as a varsity coach, it's hard to not to say, "Oh, we're going to worry about other things other than winning." You know, winning is probably always the most important <laughs> aspect. I hate to say, right. Um, but 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 the, the the cool thing is that is that you can use success and you can use wanting the and the will to having the will to win you know never giving up. Uh, I I saw this quote the other day that that was brilliant. It was I think from Pat Summit. Uh, 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 she's a um, a historic uh, women's um, college basketball coach. Mm. But she talked about about uh, the quote was something along the lines of of yeah winning's great. But you know what's even more more special is is all the all the all the uh, the path to winning, right? Is is never quitting, right? It's giving your all, right? It's um, it's putting in your best uh, your best effort all the time, you know. It's it's having team first attitude, you know. All those things lead to winning. Um, winning's nice, but what's nicer is all these, all the steps that you take. It's the journey, right? Mm. The journey, uh, and it's true. You know, I think that 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 is um, what I started to see more after winning those state titles. After after you realize that you can't win a state title every single year, you know, you got to find other ways to get wins. You know, and uh, absolutely, the classroom is one of them. You know, once you build that culture. Where where winning state championships is the expectation, and and winning games is the expectation, um, I think that 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 everyone is more motivated. 
to reach that again to right. get back to that pinnacle you know and um and then and then you see how and then you see in for yourself how many doors open for young people when they are part of a winning program when they do have a resume that includes you know being a student athlete um you know, possibly being a, a team captain, having some leadership experience, being a community-oriented individual, which I'm always proud of that that was always something that, that we always strive to, to do as is, is part of a, being a boy soccer player was also, you know, being a community member and a volunteer and, you know, doing, doing the right thing. And, uh, um, you know, in, certainly on the team, but also in school. You know, and and hopefully in in personal lives, uh, you know, it's 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 a pretty impactful um, position. So I realized that there was other things that that we could also that we where we could also impact young people. You know, um, our GPA um, our GPA grew tremendously from the, from when we uh, when I started working with Felipe and Kenny, and I took over the the program in 2010. Um, you know, I. Every year we were watching kids go to college, and some of them playing soccer. You know, right? Coming uh, from humble beginnings, absolutely. working their ass off to, mm-hmm. and so that was really that. That honestly, that that became just as special as those state titles, right? Um, and would you say that the academics, the 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 individual, the character of the individuals, was better? those years when the state championships happened was it did all of it culminate and there wasn't only success on the field but there was also success in the classroom and in the community you know i I would say that that every year had had a mix of everything there was no easy year every year you had an individual where or maybe you that that individual just needed a little bit extra love and attention and and discipline and you know um um Every year there was there was individuals that that were prepared to go to college on full ride scholarships. Every year there was individuals that you know uh, looked around and probably saw themselves um, as um, maybe inferior to others. Mm. You know because and and I say that because you know it, or. I always made it a point on my teams is to is to have an individual on the team that just maybe wasn't the best player, on the, wasn't the best soccer player, but had just had that drive and that work ethic, right? That just brought everyone up, you know, um, in practices because mm-hmm. practices for us was always a really important important um, part of our program. But sometimes you had you had players on the team that the others would ask, why is that kid on the team? <laughs> why does Jaime have that player on the team? <laughs> and why is he starting him today? <laughs> Shit, because he flies in practice. He's the first one to be ready and to on the field. Uh, he listens. Um, and, man, he actually makes some plays happen out there. You know? Um, I, I think he's a great example for what all of us should be doing. Is Everyone should be working as hard as this kid. And so I always made time, a space for a player like that on my team. Right. If you look, if you think back, you could probably identify, you know, who those people were. I mean, honestly, I felt that way quite a bit. I Maybe. didn't have, 
I was by far not the most skilled player on the Maybe. team. Maybe. So I know what you mean because there's, yeah. Right, but, oh, shit, coach believes in me? I'm going to go out there and play a little harder. Right. You know? Oh, score a goal here. Score, uh, score a goal there. You know? Um, oh, I can do this. Right? And then it just it just feeds. Everyone feeds off that positivity. Right. You know? And um, I remember one of those players was a kid named Noah Notaboom on one of those state championship teams. Never played a, a minute of soccer in his, in, a competitive soccer in his life, but he wanted to come out for the high school team and played at, at lunchtime at Y East, you know, growing right. up. Right. And, uh, and he was a state champion with us, you know, for a couple, a couple seasons. Um, but man, the kid worked hard in practice and listened to everything that was, that was told to him and asked of him and did everything the right way. And of course you're going to, have minutes for a kid like that, you know. So we had a, every year had had a mixed bag of of all of that. Um, people don't understand how they they don't understand what it, it, it what it's like to be a coach, a high school a coach of 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 adolescents in this case, right? You know, young people, right? Because um, and then you have to justify sometimes to the parents or to the kids mm-hmm. why that kid's getting playing time, right? So then you're dealing with. Yep, explaining it or, yeah, mm-hmm. which is actually really sacred to a coach is having the that, having that job and that ability to. To worry and to decide and to factor in everything that you need to factor in to, to put a starting lineup out on the field, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into that, right? You know, and there's a lot of moving parts. We're at, we're always in an educational institution, obviously. So grades were always part of our our decision making, and you know, um, maybe different from other coaches. I know some coaches that would just play the best players every game, no matter what, no matter what was going on at right. school, no matter what was going on on the team. Right, like they always put the top players up. That was that was never my my philosophy. It's for me. It was always who's who's going to earn that starting role. Right. And that really is, is like the core that, that seems like one of the core values of your coaching style. And did mm-hmm. that come from, from your upbringing and your childhood or did that come from just books you read or just your life experience in general? Oh man. I mean, if you, if you look at your job as a high school coach, that's your job. Your job is to teach young people to earn, to earn what you know um to fight for and to earn what for what they want in this case if it's playing time let's go mm-hmm. let's see it at practice let's see it in the classroom right let's see it when you step onto the field and you get that chance to play you know in a game take take advantage of it mm-hmm. um it's 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 really i could see how that could how that could produce stress for some, you know, um, or, you know, a lot of times we, we give up and we don't want to endure the hard times, you know, and, um, and I, I, yeah, maybe it is part of my upbringing, but I, I just, I just, I don't know how you could go through 
um, such an opportunity, right? And and not take full advantage of it. You know, in this case, you know, we had, I remember we had, at one point, we had 80, 90 kids trying out for HRV Boy Soccer, mm-hmm. Sean, and we could only ever take 60. Right? Like, how are you, what are you doing so that you can be part of that 60? You got to show it. It's got to happen. Right. It's got to be evident, you know? And so, I mean, another example of earning, right? Earning what you're, what you get, you know? Right. And yeah, that's, that's, it's like showing kids that there's consequences, consequences for what they do in all, but not just in the game, right? Like you were saying, it's all aspects of life. You have to think about there's consequences. There's another, another philosophy that the, that the, again, talking about high school athletics, that, that the field is an extension of the classroom. Okay, so if you look at the classroom, it's 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 the same expectations. You know, your teachers are uh, are trying to guide you. Um, they're trying to um, you know impress upon you the importance of you know learning certain material. But again, you're not going to learn that material just because you're in a classroom with a teacher and other students. You have to put in some effort. And depending on that effort, that's what you're gonna. That's what you're gonna get on, the, on, on as as a result, right? Right. You reap what you sow. Is that the, is that the? I think so. The yeah. saying. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, you make you make your own bed at the end of the day, and you have to you have to, you know, you have to lie down in it. You have to be happy with it. Yeah. You know, um, and that's uh, the again. Those are hard lessons. And, and and guess what? It was the same expectation I had for myself, right? Depending on how I coached the team that year, that's absolutely going to, you know, equal my results, you know? Um, if, like I, if I take the time to, to understand them, to, 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 to work with them, you know, to be patient with them, uh, but to hold them accountable and to put parameters up that this is how we do things and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, then, then you're going to get the results that you, that you worked for. Right. And, and we, and at the end of the day, we have to be happy with it. And as a coach, the same is true for you. So I'm curious what, what tools were available to you or did you take advantage of to, to learn, to hone your craft of coaching was, was there tools available from the Mm -hmm. school system or other just, soccer community or yeah so i my that that kind of makes me think of like my the path to to learning the game was a little bit different than probably most people um i grew up i grew up playing and loving basketball as my favorite sport um and i started playing soccer late in my adolescence i think i was a eighth grader i was an eighth grader i believe um when i started playing uh, soccer and so i fell in love with it um, when the World Cup came to the United States in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching every game with my father and my brothers. And just um, at the time, there was a Mexican goalkeeper. His name was Jorge Campos. And um, he was all of five, six, five, seven, <laughs> And uh, wore these crazy uh, goalie jerseys. And, and he was sponsored by Nike. So he had these sick Nike gloves that, that every kid wanted. 
every kid and every aspiring goalie wanted. And so I fell in love with that position. I fell in love with being a goalkeeper. Um, and, and then, uh, and then gave that a shot in high school and had a pr- pretty fun, fun time playing that position for four years at Hood River Valley. And, um, uh, you know, we weren't as good as, as the teams that, that, that we had when, when I was coaching, but, but I, I fell in love with the sport. I really mm-hmm. did. And then, um, so after high school, then I played a couple years at a community college. Um, and, um, and, and then had the chance to get into some officiating really young, like in college, just working for the parks and rec district. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, officiating some games and then, and then, um, uh, just started to understand the game from a different perspective. Right. And, um, uh, and then that, and then one summer working for that parks district, I was living in Arizona at the time. Uh, the director asked if I could help with a coaching clinic, and um, you know, I, when I was officiating, I had shown some understanding of the game, and uh, was helping kids learn as I was officiating. I was helping them learn. You know, I'd take them to the side and say, "This is how you do a throw-in," etc. And so, some people took notice, and and uh, they invited me to start helping with these coaching clinics. And so I again just kind of got back in touch with the game a little bit in that in that sense and and um and then i started becoming then i became a volunteer coach uh, for phoenix parks and rec one summer out mm. there and um and then uh a few years later i was at this is when i ended up back in, in oregon um i um i was asked to be a volunteer coach just because i had i think i talked about it at the school or something i was working for for an elementary school at the time and then somebody asked me to uh, be a volunteer coach for the Dynamos club. And so then at that point, um, they offered to pay for my coaching license. Uh, the Dynamos did. And so I went and got my coaching license. It was just this progression of learning the game from different angles. And then and then I had the chance to go get my license and, and really learned um, about uh, how, to, how to structure practices, how to have a certain philosophy of play. Um, you know, started learning just all the ins and outs of, of being a coach, youth coach. Um, and then along the way, just met some really cool mentors and people that had been doing it for a while. That's just what I was going to ask. Yeah. And that was, that was huge, man. I, mean, I remember meeting a guy, uh, and, uh, I did my coaching courses in central Oregon, um, in, uh, in the Redmond Bend area, but there was a guy in, named John O'Sullivan, who's, uh, He's actually like a, a international, like world-renowned speaker now. He's uh, he's in charge of uh, an organi- organization that's called uh, Changing the Game, Changing the Game Project. Hmm. And um, what do they do? They do like it's like uh, what would you call it? Um, it's coaching. It's coaching resources, coaching education, coaching leadership um, organization. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then they're really. Um, they're really in tune with the, with sort of the, um, the trend of, of sports becoming so, um, so win oriented that it's kind of, it, society has kind of pushed youth sports into this corner of like, um, win at all costs, you know, um, it's kind of taken away, it's taken away from the development, the whole reason that that sport is, was, you know, so to speak, uh, created, you know, and, and youth sports, um, school sports is to help develop the young person. 
you know, and it's kind of been pushed into this win at all costs, you know, mentality, and it's it's really hurt athletics in terms of participation. Uh, there's really low low participation in team sports uh, once you get to a certain age level. So they're trying to right that path. They're trying to swing things, the pendulum back this way to where sports are again developmental, fun, you know, appropriate, right for the young person. And so I guess I'm curious, what's if it's because it is, is are they getting at when it all costs means don't not just win at all costs on the field, but also prioritize the classroom, prioritize the community, prioritize your personal development, prioritize your team, prioritize all of these things. And that all of those things together define winning and then s- still maybe not win at all costs, but there is something valuable in that level of grit and determination that comes from mm-hmm. wanting to win. Sure. Yeah. Right. So is it, is it, is that what it's getting at? It's just redefining what winning means. Balancing everything back out. Right. Cause you're right. Winning still has to be a, a priority in there. The, the point of a, the point of, of, of most any sport is a team tries to win. I mean, that's the basic understanding of a, of a, of a, right. know, of, a of a sport. Um, you try to win, but is like, can you keep all these things balanced? Right? Things have become un- unbalanced according to according to research, really. Um, and again, participation, for example, in uh, in team sports, once once kids reach middle school, has significantly dropped off in the last you know last ten fifteen years. And again, there's numbers that 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 back that up. You know, um, you know, uh, officials uh, officials are hard to come by nowadays. Nobody wants to be a referee anymore. Nobody wants to be an umpire anymore because of the way they get treated. Again, going back to the winning at all costs. There's people in the stands, fans, sometimes parents yelling obscenities at at at, at officials. Right. You know, uh, in a in a youth sports environment, that's that doesn't that doesn't belong. That kind of behavior doesn't belong in those. Right. You know, but but it's happening, and again, it's people not be not being okay with losing. Right, people not being okay with things not going their way, and so they take it out on these officials. They take it out on these coaches. Right, and and so coaching is also in a in a tough spot now. There's there's a lack of coaches. Right. I mean, I know firsthand. You know, we we run, we run most few sports through Parks and Rec here in Hood River, and finding volunteers is hard, man. And um, and when they sign up, you're grateful, but you're also like, dang, I hope they get treated okay. I hope they get treated well. Hmm. You know, it's 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 tough. It's a tough. Uh, and there, current status of all that. There's obviously no place for for that in high school sports. <clears throat> but I'm curious, like at a professional level, yeah, things are different because you're not, these kids aren't in their adolescence and they're, they're, they're full grown adults. So you're not as, as concerned about um, teaching them, but they are the examples that the younger kids are going to watch. So mm-hmm. there's still, it's still important that, the professionals have good character that the fans are respectful that that the yeah. the coaches and the officials get treated well right 
Like how, how does that, how do you think that ties into, to the equation? Because yeah, it's maybe more so just about winning at the professional level. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do wonder if, if like we talked about having that culture of teamwork, of character, of maybe not academics as an adult, but just reading or intellectual, you know, mental growth, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. All those things actually make a stronger team potentially when you bring them all together. And I guess I'm just curious how you see that, the, the, the difference between the professional and the, the high school level. It is different, for sure. Um, but I think that you can find similarities in, in both situations. Um, I think on the on the personal level, if, if I understand you correctly, um, you know, what comes to mind after you said all that is, is that as an adult or or, a, or or in your career as a professional, you know, let's say you have a bad day. We all, we all can have bad days, um, but do I have to have had do I have to have two bad days in a row? No. Um, and that bad day may be me m- making a decision that I'm, I kind of wish I wouldn't have made, you know, uh, maybe you lose patience with a staff member because they made a mistake that was, re- it was a very serious mistake, but you know, maybe I didn't have to react that way. Right. Um, you made it a bad day, right? And at the same time, there's also the moment where maybe you should have been a, a maybe you should have said, "Hey, you know what? Um, that's not how we do things here," you know. But you don't, and you let certain behavior go by, and then before you know it, you're seeing a repetition of that, or you're seeing other people do make that bad choice as well. Right. You know, like I'll just say, showing up late. You know. Right. Um, you show up late to a practice, you show up late to, to work, and you don't say anything, well, it's probably going to happen again. On the, on, the con- on the other side, on the flip side, if you take the time to say, you address that, and you, and you turn it into a positive, right? Um, by, by what I always like to do is ending sort of that with a positive and saying, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is going to make us a stronger team. It's going to make us more responsible, more efficient, you know. Right, so to speak, you find a way to twist it, right? Sure, into a, into a good thing. Um, but I think in real life, and as an adult now, um, I, I, that's what I see now is is yeah, maybe we're not going to school anymore. Maybe we're not being ac- academic, so to speak. But we can still grow. We can still learn to be better people the next day. You know, right? Yeah, that that mental twist is. Uh caught my attention because I I always noticed that you were you were very intentional with the the speeches that you gave and specifically one of the things that you started doing more and more of was the kind of a meditation or envisioning mm-hmm. especially before a game sometimes mm-hmm. at practice like the day before a game mm-hmm you'd have the whole team sit down together mm-hmm. and everyone would close their eyes and we'd, we'd walk through a, a 
a guided meditation basically mm -hmm. of, of imagining how you're going to show up to the field, mm -hmm. how you're going to feel when the game starts, yep. what, what position you're going to be playing, what your responsibilities are, mm -hmm. what it's going to feel like when you do the right thing, what the right thing is. And right. then when you win the game and all of that yeah. worked really well, I thought for me, yeah. um, I'm curious where that, where you came up with that or where you, where you caught on to that? Well, I think it was, yeah, just read, uh, like we were talking, just, just trying to find, uh, other ways of, of approaching coaching. Right. And, and, and you read about some of these, some of these tactics that, that these, some of these professionals use and, and to get to the top level. And it's, 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 uh, it absolutely includes in, um, um, meditation, um, but also um, visualizing. Visualization is what we what we would call it. Um, and, then, and then you hear of specific stories of how those tools have helped people get to the next level, reach reach their goals, and and you have to give it a shot. You have to give it a shot, and. Um, and so I got really, yeah, I, I, I got really into that for, for several years. It was in like the mid 2010s where I was reading some literature and, um, one book by a author named, um, uh, Ken Bauman, I believe is, is the, is the author, but really, really dove into, um, sh uh, showing real life scenarios of where visualization was, was in, in, in key and important in their and that in that the individual's um uh success and then you and then it showed a way that they ran a visualization exercise for that individual right um and so then you were able to read all these accounts and so then that became for me a very special piece of literature because um some of those were my favorite athletes growing up one of them was a guy named Muggsy Bogues. You may have heard of him. He's the sh one of the shortest NBA players of all time. Mm -hmm. He was 5'3". <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing amongst giants. and But was a professional basketball player. Mm -hmm. And he was, he, was, he was one of these athletes that was featured in this book. And how, how visualiza visualization impacted his, his ability to be successful. And, uh, and that was very impactful to me. And so I was able to kind of get a template of a, a visualization uh, exercise, mm -hmm. kind of sort down pat for, for me, you know, where I could sit down and, like I said, I, I'd ask the guys to close their eyes, find a comfortable spot to to kind of just sit for for a few minutes, and and yeah, and then then I'd take you guys through that exercise, and and uh, how even important that was for me, because then I I also felt invigorated right. after those exercises, and I also felt ready to go. Um, it was this cool, but calm readiness, you know, so to speak. Right. Um, and that, that was always something that I realized was very important to Sean is in, pre in preparation for, for competition, how important that was to, to keep a mellow state of mind and not get too, too excited heading into a competition because a lot of times you'll, you'll release too much serotonin, too much, ex right. you know, too much emotion before competition where you need that for competition right you know so i was always trying to gauge your guys's gas your tank right you know your emotional tank so to speak 
mm. to make sure that you guys had enough to go out there and and because I knew you, I knew there was going to be heated moments, right, on the pitch that you guys were going to encounter. And so it's like we need that, we need those tanks, tank levels full, so that we can deal with those situations. Huh? Yeah, that's really interesting. I've I mm-hmm. never really thought about that but emotional gas tank. Too visualization much. helped helped in all that. Some people, but it didn't work for everybody. And I, I still remember, and you could tell, I could tell who didn't like it <laughs> just by looking around the room. Yeah. Some people were like, fuck, let's get out of here, coach. Let's yeah. just get out on the field, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, I think it was really, really important. And we continue to do that through our state championship years. Did you? We, yeah. We, I didn't do that every year because I also kind of felt people out to see whether that was something that was going to hit good with the team or not. Right. And sometimes we didn't do it very, very... Um, Consistently, but maybe I don't know, man. Maybe I'll look back one day and say that shit. That was a mistake. I should have done that every year. I don't know, but that was that was really special when those things came together. Yeah, I think the the thing that I really like about it is it forces you to to really take a hard look at whether or not you know what you want mm-hmm. or what your goal is. Yeah. If you don't know how you're going to score a goal or or right, and in, in soccer it's I guess it's obviously you want to win, but if you don't know what it's going to look like or what it's going to feel like when you win and then translate that just to other aspects of life, I think I do a lot of, of visioning just my career, Mm -hmm. my, my friendships, my Mm -hmm. family, everything that's important to me, thinking about what, what I want it to be like. And when you do that, that exercise of envisioning it and trying to feel it, it forces mm-hmm. you to be honest yeah. of whether or not you know what you want. Yeah. But it is important too. Cause, and I, I'm curious what, if this relates at all to your experience in doing this with soccer, cause my experience in life is it's easy to get caught up in the future and get caught up in just always thinking about what you want as opposed to just being thankful for what you have. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying that because earlier I said something that I thought about it and my guy didn't sound right. I said, I said something like that you have to, at the end of the day, you have to be happy with what you got and you don't have to be happy. Like you could want a different outcome next time, Mm. you know, um, just talking about a season, for example, you know, um, everybody wanted, everybody probably wants to win the state championship every year, you know, but, and so that's what I, that's where I was co- coming from. It's like, you're not going to do that every year. So, so, um, you have to find a way to, to, you have to find a way to get wins in other, in other areas, in other way, in other, in other facets of your experience. Right. You know, cause if you're not, you're not going to win the state championship every year. Right. But there may be a kid that's going to a D one school on a full ride scholarship. There may be a kid that if it wasn't for soccer, he wouldn't be going to college. Right. And guess what? He just got invited to, to be on, on a community college soccer team. Sure. You know, and. Uh, oh, you may be the first one in your family to go to high school or to graduate from high school. That's a win. <laughs> right. In my book. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you have to find other ways. Right. Another one may be, hey, last year you were a, 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 a sub. And and uh, and just a supporting player. This year you were a a, a a starter, and you know you had a huge role on the team. That's a win, you know. Right. Um, 
And so in those ways, I feel like it's important for us to te- also coach ourselves, which I think is visualiz- visualization really helps with that, is you can kind of cr- start creating a narrative in your mind of how you want things to go. And um, I talk to myself a lot in my own head. I don't know if you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm constantly talking to myself. You know, and I had the chance, Sean, the other day to ask uh, of one of our former players as well the same thing because he's now coaching at the high school, Gio Magana. He's coach. He's coaching the JV girls high school team this year. Um, I'm like, I'm like, dude, can you? I'm like, can you teach your players this? <laughs> I'm like, how? I'm like, how did you? And I asked him, like, I feel like you, Jill, were like better when things weren't going your way. <laughs> I feel like, like when your back was against the wall. Like, oh, God, yeah. oh man, yeah. Don't put him. Don't don't pin his back against the wall because he's gonna come back and bite you, kind of thing. Yeah. But that kid was that. I mean, when the games got harder, he got better. Yeah. And um, and like I'm like, dude, how do, how do you do that? I'm like, because that's something that if you could teach your your players, you're a coach now. Talk to them about those experiences, you know. And then we went into some scenarios where I remember him doing that, you know. And and he and that's what he came back with me. He's like, man, he's like, I'm honestly talking to myself throughout the whole game. Mm. Sometimes he's like, sometimes I'm, I'm good, I'm good to myself. He's like, but sometimes I'm really hard on myself. Mm. And uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, and then I'll catch myself, and then I'll catch myself being too hard on myself, and that's not helpful either. Mm. So he's like, so it's this whole narrative that I have in my head. Because I'm like, I ask him, I'm like, do you just talk to yourself the whole game? He's like, yep, I just, in, I'm in my head. I'm like, dude, what if we could hear that? I'm like, that's what I want to know. Right. Like if you, if we could hear you talking, like that's those are the kinds of things that that um you know um are really special, you know in, in terms of mental toughness. Right, because right. we're we're um, talking about a kid who he was a freshman when I was a senior. Right, by far the smallest kid on the team yeah. physically. Yeah, but as far as presence on the field he was an absolute playmate he was the key yeah like superstar yeah and the way he used his he would outbody guys that were literally twice his size (laughs) and so yeah just just understanding how he did it because he was just a magician man yeah i mean yeah so that's that's all that's all that's all i mean again and I didn't talk to him about this, but I know that he has his routine the night before a game, you know, that morning when he wakes up, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you read the accounts, and then you read, have the chance to read this literature, you know, this great literature that's out there, like like that book, Relentless. Um, and you'll you'll see, you'll get a, a dive into the life of of how these people, these individuals, prepare. You know? Right. This is really, really I, intriguing. Yeah, I think I think it's it's really cool because it's you know we're we're all we all have the chance to be the best the absolute best version of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We might not be a professional soccer player. We might not be technically what the the orthodox or the typical idea of success is, but if you establish those routines and that you look for greatness in your version of it, mm-hmm. we all have that opportunity. Yeah straight up um and you've 
you've now switching gears a little bit. You've had the chance to work with Geo as well, mm-hmm. and now um, at Parks and Rec Hood River. And I'm curious, what are the what are the differences between kind of the the role at Parks and Rec versus at as head coach at the high school? You know, um, a lot of similarities still. It, we're still obviously very very involved with athletics and um, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be able to run our programs if it wasn't for volunteer coaches you know so um, from that standpoint um, still con- still really connected to coaching you know um, and um, and the community um, a a a well functioning community a, a a community that that uh that fosters you know positivity um, has a well functioning parks and rec district um, and uh and i would say uh under that um a a a positive and 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 um uh, community-oriented youth sports program too, you know. Um, all those things are important for a, for a community to to thrive, and uh, so we're we're we understand how important our 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 jobs are, um, and it's it's a really cool it's a really cool responsibility. It's very um, it's it's kind of like, like coaching in a way uh, where it's it's exciting to go to work. Because you have so many things going on, you know, you've got in any particular season, you may have a football season going on, uh, soccer season in our case this fall, um, and now we're rolling out adult sports and recreation, you know, and it's we're creating a buzz. People are having fun. People are excited, you know. Um, they have those butterflies in their stomach of, you know, getting back out into the field, you know, playing basketball again. In a city league that hasn't ha- operated in ten years, you know, um, kids are kids from Parkdale and D and your farther parts of the community are playing sports again after the pandemic. You know, mm. kids are on teams. Kids are, you know, parents are seeing their kids out on the field um, on the weekends, and it's just it's it's a positive vibe. It helps create a positive vibe in our community. Right, and we're and we're really we're really uh, we understand how important that is, and and for me and for anyone else who doesn't fully understand what you guys do, mm-hmm. how like yeah what what where do you guys tie in because there's school sports mm-hmm. but then there's parks and rec sports sure. is that is there overlap or is it totally separate or we're trying to not overlap as much um, we we really want to be known as kind of the pathway the foundation for, uh, you know, young athletic experiences. Um, and, and we want to be that sort of that, that build those building blocks to middle school sports and so on and so forth. Um, our focus really is, is youth ages, probably preschool to eighth grade. And not in all sports, but in some some sports, we really stay away from high school. 
um, age groups um, because you know we have obviously we have the high school and other. So are there not play formats? Sports like are are you focusing on sports from like you said kindergarten to eighth grade? Yeah. That the school doesn't that offer. That the school doesn't offer exactly. I exactly. got you. So you're filling holes exactly in the school yep. programs. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we can also provide off season opportunities for those same athletes. Right. Right. So camps, academies, but still not at the high school clinics. level. Still not at the high school level, and why? Why not? Maybe, maybe it, one day we will, but our st- we're we're limited by our staff. Okay, yeah, we're limited by staff. High schoolers are a lot to deal with. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much programming for high schools. High schoolers already. Okay, you know, yeah. really, it's programming, right? It's youth programming <clears throat> because we don't just do sports; we also do recreation. We also do enrichment, so like performing arts. We do outdoor sports programs too, mountain biking. Right. And what is, what does that look like? Is that still focused on that same age group or is the, the kind of... That's where you start to see a little bit more expansion in those non-traditional sports, mm-hmm. you know? So um, like our mountain bike camp, we had a mountain bike camp this summer and we offered it to all the way up to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when it's winter, for example... Um, we won't offer a basketball league for eighth graders because eighth graders are in their middle school basketball season. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. But in the summer, we will offer a basketball camp, then we'll invite kinder three to eighth graders to our basketball camp. Right. Because you know, it's off season, and and usually we're charged with providing those kinds of programs. Right. Mm-hmm. And what uh, what is the? Are you guys? Do you guys have a vision for? For growth or for yeah for the future? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, our, our mission is very simple and clear, um, but it, it includes it includes uh, making uh, youth sports and recreation accessible to all community members. That's a that's a very broad mission, right? But as you can see, that's the where the expansion comes, right? Is is like I mentioned to you, and I mentioned to you for a reason because. D and Parkdale are, are uh, certainly um, small areas and small communities, but there's families that live out there, and uh, and they they deserve they deserve to be on the little league baseball team as much as anyone else, you know. Right. And so, but a lot of times those kids get left out, you know, for a lot of different reasons. It could be just outreach, or it could be. Um, you know, uh, lack of accessibility due to the. A lot of times, you know, it's quite it's quite it's, it, it. It is it is a barrier for families from Parkdale and D and those areas to come into town for sports. Right, right. It, it it's not that far of a drive in in, in the um, general sense, but but it's still a barrier. Right, you know? when you're running when you're yeah. trying to operate a family exactly. and you got to yeah. yeah yeah it's just another thing yeah so um. And then also, you know, some of our families that are living in rural areas are farm workers and, um, you know, and a lot of times, uh, you know, fees are tough to, to th- um, you know, it's tough to pay those, those, those fees that, that, that are required to play sports. It's not cheap. Right. And so, um, again, that's part of the, the responsibility too, the charge of us, you know, um, wanting to make or having the vision to make all programs accessible to everybody. Mm. Um, 
I can go on and on, but you know, there's always the ling language barrier, there's the technology barrier, you know, um, and so on and so forth. And so that's a, it's very motivating when we turn and look, see our mission, because it's, it's always present. We can always do more and do better. Right? And you see how that can be uh, empowering and motivating. Right. Because you know you always have a job to do. Right. You know, and at the end of the day, how important it is. Right. For those kids to be on that, on that little soccer team or on that little basketball team. Sure. And, yeah, because, so, you know, the fees for basketball is one thing. And then, but like to go mountain biking, that's a whole different level yeah. of expense, right? Yeah, man. And complication. Mm-hmm. Are there... Are there any paths for for helping get? Are you guys like trying to get some some bikes and gear together where you yeah. can have stuff to yeah to help kids out with? Yeah, or? no, we 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 are man. That's we continue to rack our brain on on ways that it's so expensive. It's there's so many ways that you can look at this right and right. and think of the work that you that you, that is required to make programs accessible to everyone. But absolutely, that's one of those that's one of those. Um, tasks of of uh finding a way to be able to lower your fees or to offer scholarships or to be able to forward people to scholar to uh to foundations where they can offer you know sports you know sports scholarships or or discounts um that's another another really um uh, uh important but tough tough task to fulfill um and um, it can't be done without generous people, you know. Um, there's a foundation here in Hood River called uh, the Gorge Kids Foundation. It's KKIDS, Keeping Kids in Developmental Sports. Mm. It's ran by a gal named Rita Kettler. Um, she started the foundation, and she she uh, gets corporate sponsorships, and a lot of it through her own through her own channels to to uh, fund this foundation. And so she's she's handing out scholarships every season, like hundred, two hundred dollars scholarships, so that kids can play, like full scholarships, wow. so kids can play sports. And so we have a really good re relationship with her. Mm -hmm. We're like her title, her title, or um, right, um, um, co uh, partnership. And um, I think last year she donated like four thousand dollars or something to get helping kids get into sports. Um, so it's great to have those kinds of partnerships. It's all collaboration. It's all collaboration. Um, when we do a mountain bike camp, we'll collaborate with an existing school, biking school, right. and we'll use their equipment. Sure. And so then we create an agreement where, you know, they financially benefit from right. the camp, and we get to use their their equipment kind of thing. That's cool. So you're starting mm -hmm. to leverage the local yeah. resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Build so a network. So that's been a neat experience. And then the other, what about the, the social or, yeah, I guess the social side of, mm -hmm. of trying to bring these demographics together. And cause part of it is if you don't have any friends that go mountain biking, why mm -hmm. are you going to want to go mountain biking? Right. But all of a sudden you make some friends and, and I'm curious if you guys, I'm sure you see that side of it, mm -hmm. but I'm curious if there's any, any bridges that you see that can be built to, to cross those gaps. That's really important to me because, you know, I, 
obviously grew up here and was born and raised here in Hood River and and I didn't ride my first mountain bike till I was probably 23, 24. Right? And so why did it take that long for me to ride a mountain bike or to know where Post Canyon was? Right. It's because it wasn't an accessible sport. Right. To me. Mountain bikes are expensive. You know, and, um, you know, and, um, and sure, maybe the sport has grown a lot in the last 15, 20 years, but, but mountain biking has been around for, for a while, you know, and, and I didn't find myself experiencing it until I was, you know, I'm into, you know, into my 20s, you know, and so I don't want that to be the case anymore for people that are born and raised in Hood River. What right. can I do to help make sure that kid from, Again, going back to D, Parkdale, Pine Grove, to make sure that those kids are getting on, have that chance to, to experience right. you know, mountain, riding a mountain bike or going up to the mountain, you know, sure. riding a snowboard, going skiing. Um, and that's that's really special, knowing that now we have the ability to, to impact those those experiences. Um, we also run a ski and snowboard program in the winter, and, and uh, this year we're hoping to get 150 kids up there to the mountain, eat, you know, one night a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we're targeting to get fifty kids that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be up at the mountain. We're right. We're doing specific outreach to get these fifty kids signed up for this program, and it's going to be expensive, but we're going to find a way. Right. And that's motivating work. Right. You know, it's really, and I can draw back to my time as a coach, my time as an as a competitive athlete and coach to find that. That desire, that right, that that idea of success. Yeah, that idea of, of success. You know that that's really important. And, and we and me and Gio talked about that a lot when we when I first hired him um, about how important that was going to be for us to continue to do the the same work that we did on the field together because he was my captain for two years mm-hmm. of, on 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 the varsity team um, was a fantastic leader. Um, and uh, and so now can we do that? in our professional life now, you know, and, um, it's been, it's been a really cool experience doing that now with one of my former athletes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, one, one of the other things that I'm, that I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts on is more, I guess on the family side of things, Mm -hmm. because, like I, I didn't grow up with, with a big family that got, I have a lot of family, but they're all spread out mm-hmm. and they didn't get together a lot. Yeah. And I've always, I, I just admire so much families that get together every week, big mm-hmm. barbecue, everyone comes over and it's just, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's, if that's been your experience or not, but I'm curious what, what the key of family is mm-hmm. in your mind and and I guess out like the one step bigger than the the immediate nucleus that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the family that you see on a weekly or a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't I I don't know. Saying like like you said, I don't know what I would do with if I didn't if 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 I didn't have my my previous experience of growing up in a big family. I I don't know what it would be like. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. I can't put myself in somebody else's shoes. Right. You know. Um, it's really similar to, to definitely our upbringing. I think it's important that we're from a small community too. 
you know uh, if we're in the city we probably don't get this kind of a right of an upbringing um but family family is important in any in any situation i think um and 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 that family definition can be different for for different people you know um but you know having having come from a family of six siblings um and and uh numerous aunts and uncles and cu- and a ton of cousins you know um it's it's really sp- i'm i'm glad that we had that upbringing you know um, cuz it has certainly continued to be um a pattern that that has a pattern that has continued in my life you know like we talked about from the soccer family um i worked for the school district for 15 years you know in a way felt like that was another family as well a lot of my friend close friendships uh, as an adult de- uh, were developed in my time you know working for the school district other coaches other teachers you know that i became very good friends with um but um but yeah this this um on my on the personal level um you know we're for for a while we our family did disperse and i had brothers in san diego I had brothers in in uh, arizona I had a sister in california so for a while thereafter we all kind of sort of gra- graduated from high school we all most most of us went away um to other states and, right. and lived other places and we all eventually came back to hood river and so that if it wasn't for that we wouldn't have that opportunity right Right. Um, to, to to see each other on on a regular basis, um, and how much do you think everyone came back because the family, mom and dad were here? That it was the the epicenter, or was it just? It is probably that, place? dude. Yeah, because my mom and dad were for years would threaten that they were going to move to Mexico. We're just going to pick up and take you guys to Mexico. You know, uh, things was it was a it was a big dif- difference of lifestyle for my mom to mom and dad to grow up in Mexico. And then up, and then bring us up here in the states. Right. You know, uh, forever, ever they. Well, anytime we wouldn't behave, they'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna go back to Mexico. <laughs> You're gonna have to behave there." You know, kind of thing. Um, but but they wanted to go back on a lot of for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you've experienced Mexico. Yeah, it's um, amazing. It's, it's <laughs> so different. Um, yeah, I think it's, everything's so much more simple. You know. And and it's true, man. People there, like when you go there, people are happy with what they have. I feel like yes, it's different. Sure, now society's, you know, different across all probably walks of life in different countries, and and there's such a connection between the U.S. and Mexico. You know, a lot of right. our a lot of the American ideals are also making their way down into right into Mexico. You've seen it, but things are are more or more simple there, for sure. And I think that's what they always long for too, you know, um, it's for life to be simple again for them, you know, cause things are so, so busy here in this right. country, but I seen them, uh, start to build a home here in the U S my mom and dad and, and to, and to establish deep roots here. I mean, my dad's been here. My dad started coming here in the seventies, you know, um, I was born here in 81, you know, so by the early 1980s, mom and dad already had a stable job here, good living situation. And then when we saw them start to build a house, everyone was like, okay, 
they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're probably going to be in the states forever. <laughs> and so, it was, and so that's why I think everyone just kind of started to come back because they saw mom and dad not move. They weren't going to move after all. And that's what they, they said they were going to do. As soon as you guys are out of the house, we're going to go back to Mexico. But they never did. And once everyone did come back, was it just easy to get together and see each other? And yeah, I mean, mom's mom's cooking. I think that's a key, <laughs> a key to the. You asked earlier about yeah. the key to, to to family. Yeah, it's got to be the food, man. The kitchen. Oh, yeah. dude, sheesh. Yeah, I mean, she has a way of, of um, all she has to say is, "Hey, I'm making uh, enchiladas for dinner. If you guys want to come over, yeah." And everyone's there, you know, kind right. of thing. Um, I I saw that also as a very important um, element in our and and when I was. Uh, coaching and the, and the lead leader there for the boys soccer program but every year um i enjoyed going out to eat with the guys mm-hmm. taking t- taking them to nice dinners um doing barbecues for them etc cetera, etc cetera. It, it is food it definitely is a way to get get to somebody's get to find your way to somebody's heart you it's, know it totally is mm-hmm. and it reminds me of what we were talking about of bridging that gap of all the mm-hmm. demographics we have here yeah and yeah I remember, so another thing I, I, I tried to do every year, it was uh, I'd always invest in buying a bunch of snacks ahead of the season to have to have for the guys at practice and fruit at games and things like that. Um, all those things were, I think, really important in creating a, the right culture right. You know, for, for a team. Um, and, and, and never mind that, it's true, some kids didn't have the money to buy lunch or, you know, they probably didn't have breakfast that morning. And... Uh, and so taking care of the guys in other ways was always, always made me feel good. You know, it was always, it was always special. Yeah. I like so that. It's, it's just as simple as that. It's just yeah. food. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And my family's involved in the, in the food industry here in town, you know, so my brother and his wife, Cone, um, uh, they're involved in the ownership of, uh, Michoacan, mm-hmm. the, Mex- the Mexican restaurant. Um, and so, and then my mom also had a food pop-up for 15, 16 years. She would do a food pop-up every year at the fair mm-hmm. and had one of the biggest followings there. You know, people would come from other states to come try her food. Yeah. Um, and that was really special. Um, um, so, yeah, the, without a doubt, family doesn't exist without without an element of of showing love through food, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to tie it all together, I think uh, I think that's that's an interesting because it that's where we started was with the soccer family and mm-hmm. and learning about your journey of of finding your way and and coaching and and seeing that other side of not just being a player but also being a part of a team and being a part of mm-hmm. a generation of teams and and then how that ties into the community and and building offering offering programs that aren't available through the schools and then and then growing that into into the recreation of non-traditional sports and mm-hmm. and then growing that into the demographics that normally aren't aren't doing those sports or don't even know they exist mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, it's all about bringing people together. Yeah. 
and just like you were saying about food that's that's uh it is interesting that food is kind of has this special yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah i mean it makes sense when you when you look at history a little bit but um yeah i think i think it's a beautiful story that you shared with us today because it it does just all tie back to to bringing people together to to getting through hard times mm-hmm. to to setting ambitions to to thinking about the future and and achieving goals so uh it's been an honor to to have you on the show to have experienced it myself and i look forward to to sharing this story with with others and and hopefully transmitting that same idea of of bringing people together and creating families and mm-hmm. in whatever whatever aspect of life yeah i like that thanks thanks how you tied all that in sean and I think probably the, the big reason of why why we're here, you know, as well. Um, yeah, I remember remember when I first met you and your mom, and got to know kind of your your uh, your background story. Um, it was it was going to be it was my natural instinct to to make sure that you were going to feel like family. So, at the end of the day, I hope that that's uh, that's how you felt, man. I sure as hell did, yeah. and I do. Absolutely cool. There's there's I don't know fifty guys in this community. I haven't seen them for a while, but I know that when I see them, give them a big hug, and it's just yep. how's it going, brother? Yep. So cool. You absolutely did that. <laughs> sweet alright well thanks for, every, for tuning in everybody and be well <laughs>